always have to be careful what you share with Scott, because if you say, oh, you know, I really, the Lord's really been putting this on my heart, he's going to say, great, why don't you share it? So, <laughs> thank you, Scott. Um, this morning, where I'm going may sound like rabbit trails, but I'm actually going to try to pull it all together at the, at the end, so don't worry. Um, part of our mission statement, and Steve read it this morning, he read the expanded version, and I am going to use the shortened version because that's the one I like. Uh, it says, it's, it's for us to deliver the good news of the kingdom to our neighbors and the nations until everyone and everything is under the dignified and powerful rule of Jesus. That means we're on our way to becoming kingdom-minded people or world Christians, depending on whether you're in the vineyard or in perspectives class. <laughs> um, but what happens is that instead of seeing the entire world, the kingdom of God covering the earth, we tend to think that like my little deal here is the sum total of all that's out there. Um, and I've just recently learned how true this is. You guys know that for most of my adult life, I've been engaged with the nations one way or another and involved with people, you know, in the nations. Well, two years ago, I got a real job here in New Braunfels, you know, except I don't have insurance, so it doesn't count. Um, but because of that and because of some other family circumstances, I haven't been able to travel as much as I used to. And, you know, we'd be gone two or three times a year. And I haven't left the country since March of 2012, and that's just killing me. You know, I love to go uh, uh, see our friends and our, our new people uh, in other countries and things like that. Uh, but what I've noticed about that is that in, in not physically going and engaging with other people around the world, my stuff, like the tasks I do at work or what's going on with my family, things like that, it all becomes the focus of my life, and my priorities get out of whack. Um, I, I guess that's probably a natural tendency for us to get focused on ourselves, but that's not kingdom. That's not being kingdom-minded. That's not being a world Christian and being engaged in the nations. Uh, world Christians understand that God chose them to participate in his purposes, his global purposes, instead of just keeping them, him, as their own personal problem solver. You know, our, our tendency is to kind of read the Bible like Aesop's fables. Well, what's the moral of this story, and how does it apply to me? When in reality, the Bible is a story about God and about his plans and purposes, what he's been doing throughout the, the nations and throughout the ages. It's all about him and his purposes. And he does care he really does care about what's going on with us. He, he loves us. He's integrally involved in our lives and our story. The difference is, and it's really hard to wrap our minds around this, he is just as passionately involved with every other person on the earth. Seven billion people, whether it's a, a guy that works in a factory somewhere or a child in a sweatshop in Southeast Asia, or the king of Saudi Arabia, or a grandmother somewhere in uh, New Zealand, or um, a child born in a refugee camp in Africa, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. All of these people he knows as intimately and loves as passionately as he does ours, us. Seven billion stories. It's a worldwide story. When Jesus was clearing the temple 
the merchants out of the temple. And he said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then Isaiah prophesied about this, this about him. Take a good look at my servant. I'm backing him to the hilt. He's the one I chose, and I couldn't be more pleased with him. I've bathed him with my spirit, my life. He'll set everything right among the nations. He won't call attention to what he does with loud speeches or gaudy parades. He won't brush aside the bruised and the hurt, and he won't disregard the small and insignificant, but he'll steadily and firmly set things right. He won't tire out and quit. He won't be stopped until he's finished his work to set things right on earth. So how does he go about setting things right among the nations? Well, a lot of things are involved, and and we're involved, but realistically speaking, we can't all quit what we're doing here to go build water wells in Africa or stop the spread of epidemics in India or preach crusades in stadiums around the world or anything like that. But how do we, involved in our real jobs here in New Braunfels, in our real lives here, how do we participate in his kingdom, the setting things right among the nations. Because if we don't participate, it's not going to get done. We're his hands and his feet. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. We're his hands and feet. So if we don't get involved, how's it happen? I'm going to tell you a story out of Genesis. This is a crazy story for many, many reasons. And please don't ask me to explain a lot of this because I have no clue. This follows up, the, this is right after the angels came to visit Abraham, and the Bible does say one of those was God. Don't ask me. They came, they said, you're going to have a son. Sarah laughed. She, he said, okay, great, name him Laughter, Isaac. Okay, so the guys, they serve a meal, they stand up, they're getting ready to leave. And then this story comes along. It says, then God says, shall I keep back from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham is going to become a large and strong nation, and all the nations of the world are going to find themselves blessed through him. Yes, I've settled on him as the one to train his children and future family to observe God's way of life, live kindly and generously and fairly so that God can complete in Abraham what he promised him. God continued, The cries of the victims in Sodom and Gomorrah are deafening. The sin of those cities is immense. I'm going down to see for myself. See if what they're doing is as bad as it sounds. Then I'll know. The men sat out for Sodom, but Abraham stood in God's path, blocking his way. Talk about courage. Abraham confronted him, confronted God. Are you serious? Are you planning on getting rid of the good people right along with the bad? What if there are 50 decent people left in the city? Will you lump the good with the bad and get rid of the lot? Wouldn't, that spare, wouldn't, wouldn't you spare the city for the sake of those 50 innocents? I can't believe you'd do that. Kill off the good and the bad alike as if there were no difference between them. Doesn't the judge of all the earth judge with justice? And instead of striking them dead with a lightning bolt, God said, if I find 50 decent people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the place just for them. Abraham came back. Do I, a mere mortal made from a handful of dirt, Dare open my mouth again to my master? What if the 50 fall short by five? Would you destroy the city because of those missing five? He said, I won't destroy it if there are 45. Abraham spoke up again. What if you only find 40? Neither will I destroy it for 40. He said, Master, don't be irritated with me, 
But what if only 30 are found? No, I won't do it if I find 30. He pushed on. I know I'm trying your patience, Master. I guess so. But what about for 20? I won't destroy it for 20. He wouldn't quit. Don't get angry, Master. This is the last time. What if you only come up with 10? For the sake of only 10, I won't destroy the city. When God finished talking with Abraham, he left. And Abraham went home and passed out. That was editorial. That's what I would have done. You all know the rest of the story. God didn't find those 10 people, those 10 righteous people in Sodom. He, he had to destroy the city. But he did rescue Lot and his family. He got them out of there. And Lot's wife turned around, turned into a pillar of salt. You know the whole story. But the point is, Abraham got in God's face, literally, and, and interceded. That's what we're calling this, intercession for those people. Intercession simply means praying on behalf of others. And just because I could, I looked up the word intercession on Wikipedia. This is what I found. In public worship, intercession is offered as prayer for the world beyond the immediate vicinity and friendship networks of the church community. As such, intercession consists, constitutes part of the worshiping community's engagement with otherness as it expresses Christian solidarity with those who are other than themselves. In doing so, a Christian both appeals to and seeks to embody God's own love for the world. I love that. I thought that was really great. You know, God's called us to, to engage with those who are different from us. You know, there's not, in the whole scheme of that 7 billion people, there aren't an awful lot of us that are the same. We've got so many differences. In fact, that's one of my pet peeves nowadays is that, that everything is that kind of partisan spirit. It's us against them, you know, whether it's beliefs or race or nationalities or this, that, and the other. There, there's all this other. It's, it's not me. It's the other. But God causes us to embrace that and to become um, one with the other. And, <clears throat> and so we're called... To, just like Abraham, to intercede on behalf of those who are different from us. Now, maybe not necessarily stand in God's face and say, hey, wait a second, stop and think this through. You know, uh, I, I don't know that I would have the courage to do that. But we can pray for those we don't know. Now, it's, it's easy for us to pray for people we do know. My daughter-in-law was telling me the other day that Andrew, my grandson, was saying his bedtime prayers, and he said, God bless all of those who love me, <laughs> my adoring fan base, you know, it's like, <laughs> so it's easy for those to pray for those who love us or that we love or something, I'm not sure, um, but even that can be overwhelming. So how in the world do we pray for those that we don't know? Well, there are several ways, and we're going to focus on one of them in particular, but one of the ways is to get to know people, you know, whether personally or through other people. Um, <clears throat> do you remember when Susan's friend, I forget what your friend in uh, Rwanda's name is, Christine. Christine and her husband and their son Hero, and Hero was sick, right? And we prayed for him, and we gave money for that need and some different things. We were interceding for the nations because Susan knew them. So we get to know them through others. You know, my daughter Angie works down at Catholic Charities, and she one of the ways she unloads uh, the stress of her job is to tell me stories about what's going on. And she told me uh, last week about uh, a man who had a, 
a family, probably like five children or something like that, and his wife is pregnant with another one, and he died of cancer. You know, it's, it's horrible stories, but we can pray in those situations. It, she always gives me stuff to pray about. You know, it's like, okay, what am I praying about today? Because I haven't talked to Angie yet. But, um, but that's one of the ways that we can pray for others is by knowing people or knowing friends of friends kind of a thing. You also can watch or read the news. I don't know how you get your news nowadays, but whether you watch it on TV, read it on the Internet or whatever, you can use those words or those images as fuel for prayer. Sometimes, you know, we, can become, we, we get so inundated with stuff that we become desensitized. It's almost like Teflon. You know, we see those images and they just kind of bounce off our eyes and, and go somewhere but we can let them kind of penetrate our heart and use that as fuel for prayer, you know, because uh, everybody sees the news. Everybody knows kind of a little bit about what's going on among the nations. A little, the last thing is the thing that I'm going to focus on. Um, we, when we worship God individually or corporately, we can worship for the nations, and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, worship is simply telling God how much you love him. That's all it is. That is so important to us as human beings. You know, when, it, when our kids are learning how to talk, that's one of the first things that we teach them. You know, when my grandkids, they're, they're kind of stingy with this, but when they say, I love you, Nana, it's like, oh, my heart just breaks, you know. It's just so sweet. And children that are just learning how to talk, that's one of the first things we teach. Kate, isn't that right? That's one of the first things you teach your kids, right? So... And God loves hearing how much we love him, too. And he loves when we enjoy him. He loves when we enjoy his creation, those kinds of things. We went down yesterday to take some pictures, and um, we, we were in San Antonio. We went to one of the missions. We went to some other place in downtown San Antonio. Who knew these places were there? They were absolutely gorgeous, and we were just really enjoying being out among God's creation, seeing what was going on. Uh, you know, all those kinds of things. God enjoys that, and he loves our pleasure in the things that he's created. He also loves to hear us tell him how much we love him. You know, it's just like a husband and wife relationship, parents and children, anybody that you value, you need to tell them how much you treasure them. That's hugely important. Um, I want you to hear what, when, when David, who wrote a lot of the Psalms, was, was worshiping the Lord, listen to one of the psalms that he wrote and look at the focus of what this psalm says. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. See the focus on the nations there? God's desire is for all nations to worship him. That's where he's going with this whole kingdom thing. He wants to bring people out of the nations to him, to worship him. When we gather to worship God, whether we sing songs on him on a Sunday morning or whether we're 
in our car or any other time, we can worship for the nations. We can identify with them. We can place ourselves among them. That's what we've got this gift of imagination for. We can place ourselves among them. We can use the fact that God knows their stories as intimately as he knows ours to kind of, in a sense, draw his presence there among people who don't even know them, him. Just like he's present with us. There's a scripture in the Psalms that says God inhabits or dwells in the praises of his people. When we worship him, he's right here among us. And sometimes we can even sense that like in a tangible way. When we worship for others, we're foreshadowing their worship. We're declaring, God, you love the people of Gaza or wherever just as much as you love me. And you will not be finished with your work of setting things right among the nations until they're also worshiping you. John, the Apostle John had a vision of heaven. And I'm just going to read a little tiny portion of it. It says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. This is a picture of Jesus. Each Now listen to this. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. There will be people from every tribe and language and people and nation worshiping with us in heaven. That's what God's saying right there. So we foreshadow their worship. But something else happens when we worship for the nation. God becomes involved almost at our invitation. We somehow draw his power and his activity to that place. It's the same thing that he wants to do. There's a saying that says, things are different because you pray. And that may sound kind of cliche, but it's true. I mean, if not, what do we pray for? Why do we waste our time? Things are different because we pray. And the same thing is true about worship. When we sing a song that says, um, you're the God of this city, you're the king of this people, you're the Lord of this nation, Greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. And we sing it over the city of Damascus in Syria instead of in New Braunfels. I'm prophesying. I'm speaking out the truth of God in a place where it hasn't been seen yet. Yet being the operative word there. Now we get all kind of freaked out over that word prophecy as if it's kind of some kind of fortune telling or it all has to do with the end times and stuff like that. And you know... I've seen some pretty amazing things, so I'm not going to rule anything out here. But, but the word prophesy just means to speak forth. We're speaking forth things that God has already said in his word, like you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. We're speaking that out. We're prophesying over that people. We're just saying what God has said. So God's given us this 
great gift of imagination, and too often we just squander that gift. We can use that gift of imagination to place ourselves with people around the globe. In my, imagine, I can, in my imagination, I can stand on the Great Wall of China and prophesy over the Chinese people, your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out on me. I can sit in refugee camps around the world and say, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. This is, this is hard for me to get through this one because this song just does me in. When I sing, he loves us, oh, how he loves us. We are his portion and we are his, he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If love is an ocean, we're all sinking. You know, and I sing that in the place of child soldiers in the Congo. That makes a difference. I'm prophesying. I'm speaking out what God desires to do. I'm participating in that with him. We're worshiping God, but we're also interceding. We're, we're just inviting him to do what he already wants to do. We're, but we're making a difference. It ceases to become all about us. And it draws us out into the world. It draws us into the kingdom-minded people that he wants us to be. We've been, we begin to care about people we've never met before, people we see on the news. Our hearts begin to break for the things that break his heart. It changes us. And it changes the situation that we're praying or worshiping into. Things are different. Now, I don't want us to take this and make a formula out of it. <laughs> don't always be thinking, now, how can I sing this for the nations? Because sometimes it is about us in worship. You know, if you're involved in a conversation with God in worship, if he's doing something inside you, that is great. Just go with it. But if you have watched the news or read something on the Internet or something and it's captured your heart and you just can't get away from it, you know, I'm... It, gassing chemical weapons gassing each other in in Syria and you just can't get away from it then use that as a trigger to intercession and worship use it as a trigger put yourself use your imagination to put yourself in the midst of those people and sing your heart out to God for those people look at the lyrics you're singing look at them listen to the music let it take you to a place where God wants you to go on behalf of those people it's a way of deliberately engaging in worship. Sometimes, I know probably never happens to you, but sometimes worship kind of feels dry and you just don't think you can kind of get engaged in it. It happens to me and I'm on the worship team, okay? So I know it's going to happen to you. So then use it as, use it as a challenge to worship for those who can't. You know, look at the lyrics. How can I, God, how can I prophesy this over somebody? You know, let the music move you. Let it take you to a place on their behalf. It's a it can be a challenge, but not a formula. Don't ever let it be a formula. So for us, as a community, the challenge is to let ourselves feel the pain and the joy that God feels when he looks at the people of the world. It's not an easy thing, you know? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not easy to stand up here and, and worship or speaking in front of you guys and just, you know, start feeling the tears start coming in here because 
I can't sing a song without worshiping for the people of the earth. It's not an easy thing, but you know, that's what God feels. And I want to be like him. I want to be feeling what he's feeling. Join him in speaking or singing out his purposes over people. You know, when you're reading your Bible, look for stuff. Hey, God, look what you want to do for these people. You know, make things right in the nations. Join him in setting things right among the nations by interceding on their behalf or worshiping on their behalf. And then worship the Lord and bring others, bring the nations with you into his presence. And to finish this out, I asked Matt to play a song that we're kind of familiar with. And it's a challenge to us. I want Because this is not a listening to message. This is a doing message. So I've asked Matt to do something that we're familiar with. And just pick a place. It doesn't matter where it is. Pick a place. My, my heart is always drawn to Syria because I went there in 2000. Kathy took us there. Kathy Nobles took us there. And we were in Damascus. We were in that little town of Malula where they speak Aramaic, this, the language that Jesus spoke. And now the place is a ghost town. I see postings on the Internet. The place is a ghost town because people have had to leave. You know, the nuns are still there. Praise God, the nuns are still there. But, but I, I always go to Damascus or Israel and Palestine. <laughs> One of the, you know, Middle East caught my heart, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to listen to the song, listen to the words. Let it move you to intercession. Pray for the nations. Just use this song to practice what we've been talking about. Matt?
Father God, right now, we just want to speak to the nations of the earth. Stand in awe and worship. Raise your voice and worship Christ the Lord. For we know that that day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, we want to be a part of it. We want to be a part of seeing the nations come to worship you. Teach us, Lord. Use us, Lord. And send us. In your name. Amen.